So if you've been here over the past couple weeks, you might remember that our current sermon series we're doing is entitled Christmas in July, right? And what, are we, what we're trying to say is, what are these stories that are so important that we read them year after year, right? What else might we get out of them if, if, uh, if we're not quite able, uh, if we're not reading them in the holiday season, right? What, what else might we get out of them that we're not quite able to in that context, right? If with their seasonal trappings, what else can we learn from these stories, right? And in that spirit, <clears throat> our passage today, as you just heard, comes from the gospel of Matthew, immediately after the baby Jesus is visited by the Magi. So the first thing to notice in this story is uh, that just like in the rest of Matthew's gospel, Jesus is the new Moses. Because remember, like Jesus, Moses was born illegally with the government trying to kill him as an infant. Eventually, he too clashed with the powers that be and had to run away uh, from Egypt this time instead of to Egypt like Jesus. But what was Moses famed for uh, in ancient Judaism? But the Exodus, right? Moses was famous for being the liberator for taking a motley group of slaves and getting them to run away to achieve their liberation. So the author of our passage this morning wants us to think of the Moses story when we're hearing this Herod and Jesus story. He wants us to call to mind this person, Moses, who was coming to liberate the oppressed, the Israelites who were enslaved. So this notion that a liberator has come to rescue the people from oppressive rule, who does that not go over well with? Maybe, you know, the people in the oppressive rule. Um, you know, and so we'll see next week how this interfaces with the, with the Roman Empire itself. But this week we're looking at the uh, supposedly Jewish puppet leader, puppet ruler of Israel, King Herod. And so note, carefully what's happening here in this story we just read, right? Jesus constitutes a threat to King Herod's power. When Rome crowned Herod, they literally bestowed upon him the title the King of the Jews. Has anybody heard that before? Right? Uh, And Herod is a deeply insecure man with an obscene amount of power and no qualms about mobilizing his military to execute Anybody and everybody who presents any semblance of a threat to his power and his rule. And so Jesus, even when he's an infant, called into question Herod's political legitimacy and challenged his throne, and thus Jesus must go. And so Herod goes on this murderous rampage to try and root Jesus out. We know from other points in history, too, that Herod, this, this was not out of character for Herod, because Herod went on just murdering sprees to try and root out anybody who was a threat to his throne. And apparently, uh, in this story, some time had passed between the birth of Jesus and when he did this, because he went and, just to be safe, decided to kill every Jewish boy that's two years or younger. And note what happens next. At the direction of divine intervention, right? The only way that Jesus would avoid this slaughter. At divine direction, Jesus and his family flees the country as refugees. They seek asylum 
from the neighboring superpower who has enough resources to sustain them and protect them while they wait in exile for the, for the dictator to die off and it is safe to return, right? This story is at its core a story about refugees in asylum being driven from their home country with the certainty of violence and seeking a new place to settle, to raise their kid in safety, to give him a better life, or rather, any life at all instead of being dead, right? And so this story brings up all sorts of questions for us as Christians trying to be faithful people of God, because is this issue of refugees and asylums not the very issue that we are trying to figure out now as our country, right? Is this particular story not very timely for our current social moment, right? So when we think about this story, we should think about two aspects of it, right? On the one hand, there's this aspect of needing to figure out where are the Herods in our world, how do we stop the Herods of our world from massacring people, right? To, to, from causing people to flee and become refugees. It's the business of addressing the problem at the source, to pre- try and prevent their being refugees in the first place. So that's one aspect the story calls us to reflect upon. And on the other hand, there's this other aspect as well. How do we as faithful people of God respond to refugees when they come to us seeking help? When the Christ child comes in the middle of the night seeking asylum, fleeing from Herod, and needing to stay for years to wait out the despot that's trying to kill him, when this Christ child shows up at your doorstep, what are you going to do? How are you going to react? And how, as a collective body, that is, as a, as a culture, right, a people group, how are we collectively going to react when we're faced with this situation? And these are the questions that arise in our particular social moment, and I want us to sit with for just a little bit. <clears throat> Which, by the way, if this sounds political, right, there's a good reason for that, because there is no way to read this story that is apolitical, right? There is no way to read this story that is not political. You have a king, a despot, a tyrant, a dictator who is purely concerned with maintaining his power when a threat to his power arises, and so he goes on a murdering spree to try and shore up that power, and in order to escape the tyrant, the baby and his family had to flee for their lives and seek asylum in a foreign country where they would stay as refugees until the person whose power was threatened died. That is a straight-up political story, right? There is no way to read it faithfully to the story itself that is not political. So, of course, obviously, right, I have to be intentional about what exactly where I fit into this conversation, right, as your pastor. I'm not going to be standing up here and tell you that God wants you to vote for this specific person or this specific party, hopefully, obviously. Though I guess, I guess not necessarily a given, but hopefully, obviously, right? But of course, we're going to be touching on these topics that fall into the political realm. When you think about what the root meaning of politics is, right, doing li- how we choose to do life together, 
When we think about that, how do we choose to do life together? And basically, the vast majority of the Bible is about politics. Separating spheres of life into religion and politics and home life and social life and all this stuff, slicing and dicing up our lives into these discrete, compartmentalized domains, these areas, right? That only came about in the Enlightenment. I mean, heck, this whole separation of church and state thing basically came about with America. There is a whole lot of time before that, and hey, the Bible was written way before that. And so the Bible just jumbles all this stuff together, Right? The Bible talks about a ton of political topics because they're not separate from this sphere of faith. Your moral positions influence how you behave and how you should act as a collective, as a, as a nation or a state or a community. Right? And so the Bible deals with these issues because they're not separate from them. It deals with immigration. It deals with refugees. It deals with displacement. It deals with political threat. It, de- it deals with cultural decimation. It deals with the best relationship between church and state. And on and on, the Bible insists it's all mixed into this messy, fluid thing that we call life. And this particular quote-unquote political topic of human migration and refugees and asylum seekers has fundamentally been a Christian issue way, way, way before the U.S. started getting fired up about it. Right? For thousands of years, we as Christians have been trying to figure out what does godly hospitality look like? Of how do we embrace and welcome the stranger and the outcast and the vulnerable? And that is one of the most consistent values talked about and promoted in the Bible is hospitality. Meaning that the Bible and our faith do actually have some tools to help our country think through the problems that we're facing right now. Human migration, and especially forced migration to escape violence, has been around for basically the entirety of human history. Right? We are not the first people to experience a refugee crisis. They had multiple refugee crises through the time of the Bible, and they talk about it, and they process it. And so our faith and history do have insights that can help us process this particular problem that we are facing in our world today. So let me be clear. I'm giving you some biblical tools and theological tools to help think through these issues, right? And Christians, faithful Christians, can and will come up with a range of views of what is the best way to put these values into practice in terms of what they should look like as policies, as concrete measures. There's not just one way to live out these ethical positions in a country, But at the same time, there also are ways to live it out, ways to have policies to enact that do not live up to these principles that our faith teaches us. So for example, our faith does not teach us that we should isolate ourselves from other peoples who are not like us. Rather, our faith insists on the interconnectedness of all of humanity of, as God's creations, right? God even explicitly says to Israel, the very people who think that they're the chosen people of God, eh, you're not that special. I'm doing the same thing for the enemy nations down the road, right? I, that is very 
us choosing to implement a policy that would be drawing us into isolation and denying our interconnectedness with others and interrelatedness with other human beings would not then, in fact, be in line with our faith. Or, for example, as beloved creations of the Creator, our faith teaches us that all humans have dignity precisely by virtue of being human, by being made in the image of God. Thus, our faith would not support us as a country denying migrants' humanity, be that rhetorically or through action or through conditions. So look, as I said, there's all sorts of potential ways we could go about trying to address these issues as faithful Christians. And there's also ways that do not align with our Christian values. Our task then, friends, is to assess these options before us, or even to help imagine up options that are not yet on the table, and assess them in the light of the gospel to determine how we as Christians should relate to others, right? To, and to help us think through these two questions this passage brings up of how do we prevent the Herods of the world from causing refugees in the first place? And what does it look like for us to welcome the fleeing Christ child? So as we hear over the next weeks or months, as inevitably we will, about refugees and about asylum and have this conversation about how should we as a community and a country deal with these issues, may you call to mind a Christian lens for interpreting and processing what you are seeing for the discussion that you're participating in. And may you never lose sight of the refugee Christ child as others are seeking safety. May it be so.